as things as simple as, I don't know, you know, composting your garbage. But even that little thing that, um, that my family and I do makes us feel like we're, take, we're living by our values and taking some action. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. We bring you leaders acting on their environmental values because too many people told me, I want to act, but if others don't, then what I do won't matter. We're here to make it obvious that you're not alone. You're part of a global community, a majority. Also, too many people told me, doing small things doesn't make enough of a difference and big things take too much work. Action matters more than the size you start with. You'll hear how action motivates guests from small things to doing big things. You won't find guilt, blame, doom, gloom, or telling people what to do. You will find leading without relying on authority, which brings what I found missing from acting on environmental values. Joy, discovery, growth, community, meaning, purpose, value, sharing. With global demand for environmental action, I bet you'll see that acting on your values doesn't distract from your life and career. Follow in these leaders' footsteps, and beyond enjoying the environment, I bet you'll see promotions, raises, more loyalty and trust in your relationships, and more. Ben Fetter wrote a book, Take Off Your Shoes, on changing his life, traveling with his family to Bali for a year. Right off the bat, I want to share that I loved reading the book. I enjoyed the writing style and the content. Before and after he left to Bali, he ran companies at a very high level. So he ran operations, he engineered, it was a big part in takeovers, and these other high-level corporate leadership activities, sometimes pretty exciting. For people who think corporate leadership is mechanical or cold, Ben shows it's the opposite, at least in his case. A big part of leadership means living by your values. In his case, it included his whole family, his wife, his kids. It resulted in closer relationships, personal discovery. Let's listen. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Josh Spodek. I'm here with Ben Fetter. Ben, how are you? Good. How are you, Josh? Nice to meet you. Great. Nice to meet you, too. And I feel like I've met you a bit more because I've been reading your book. I haven't finished it, but I'm well through it. And people just heard us start kind of in the middle because... We just got on and you asked me, what's this about? Or who's your audience? And I started answering. He was like, we should start recording this. And so uh, sorry for the listeners that were mid-conversation. But the reason is because we want you to catch this. I was saying that uh, I felt like a lot of people, when they hear leadership in the environment, I feel like they hear the environment part, but they miss the leadership part, which is where the, that's the part that's about the joy and the fun and the personal growth and the living by your values. And right. I think I felt like that resonated with you. Oh, totally, totally. Because first of all, um, in my own life, I have recognized that um, it's hard. Uh, sorry, in my own life, I kind of uh, you know realized that just by making a personal decision to act in a certain way um, and to uh, do even minor things, right? It's not a question of hey, is this really going to help the environment as much as it is living by your values and um, you know, as things as simple as, I don't know, you know, composting your garbage when, you know, even, that's probably not the biggest environmental problem in the world. I'm not even sure it is an environmental problem, but even that little thing that, um, that my family and I do makes us feel like we're taking, we're living by our values and taking some action. Um, you know, when we were living in Bali, um, just by way of background for your listeners, right? The book is about kind of as a memoir about uh, sabbatical that my family and I took in Bali. Um, and my kids attended this wonderful school called the Green School, um, which was a school developed by John and Cynthia Hardy to teach 
kids from all over the world about the environment and, and global leadership and environmental leadership. And, um, and that was a few years ago, but even still today, I have four children and they've come back and they've all taken on these lessons about leadership and the environment. And so my son, who's now, I don't know, 22, still won't uh, buy any plastic uh, bottle, bottled water, won't use plastic bags. None of my family uses plastic bags. Um, my daughter kind of runs a, a high school organization called Bye Bye Plastic Bags that was started in Bali and now it was extended to New York, trying to get rid of plastic bags because they're just such a scourge to the environment. And so, um, uh, you know, there, there is a place on this planet where, um, in, in Bali, of all places, in Indonesia, where the agenda is all about environmental protection and ecology and teaching children not only about environmentalism and global leadership, but also to be activists. And so I'll stop talking in a second. But, in, in, you know, there were two Indonesian kids that went to the green school in Bali, one of them with my daughter, Rita, and um, they started this organization called Bye Bye Plastic Bags. And the thing took off. It just became this global movement where they have ambassadors all over the world. They, were, they spoke at the United Nations. That, and um, I just feel like, I mean, they're high school kids that have been all over the place and just, just preaching about environmental protection and just taking life into their own hands um, and taking the environment into their own hands. And um, I just think you, you, if you're looking for leadership, sometimes I feel like, you know, it's not our generation that's really going to provide the leadership. We've tried, and so far it hasn't seemed to have worked very well. But I see some of the um, younger generation, my kids' age, uh, really taking on the mantle and uh, hopefully will provide leadership uh, for generations to come. Um, you know, you're saying some things that I think a lot of people, I really want to get a lot of people to, to experience and learn that, Doing th you're not describing making the best of a bad situation when you're saying that you're not using plastic. You're not like, oh, plastic would make my life better, but I'm sacrificing it. You sound like, this is, why would I use it? This is, you're not sad that you're missing something that everybody else has. Um, I'm not sad about it. And, and, but the truth is, I'm also not, um, I'm not delusional about the impact that I'm having on the environment. I don't think I'm having much of an impact. And every time I do anything, I kind of feel like, well, there's 7 billion people on the planet. How's this going to help? Um, but just as you said, I think it's important to live by your values. Um, one of the things that I, uh, that I discovered in, while being away is this concept of intention. And, um, you know, people throw around the word a lot and, I think so many of us go by our lives um, almost in a sleepwalking way without living intentionally. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, what you do sometimes is not as important as the intention that you have when you do it. And um, even if it's just one person at a time having the intention to do something about the ecology um, and the environment, even if it's just that, I think it's important, if not to the world, to that individual person. And, um, and the more people live consciously and the more people live intentionally about their actions, I think, A, there's just greater, you know, global, global utility and global happiness around that. Um, and I do think ultimately if there are enough people doing that, it will have an impact. I'm really so glad I don't, to, oh, sorry. I don't, I don't, I don't think you need, I, don't get me wrong. I am, uh, I'm, 
a man of action and I, uh, I believe in setting goals and pursuing them and making an impact and all of that. Don't get me wrong about that. Um, it's, but it's not what I, what I say is not, um, to replace that. It's in addition to that. And if you, if you're the type of person that doesn't have the resources or the ability to have a greater impact, then just have the impact in your own little world and that will spread. You, I think I'm often surprised by how, um, how word spreads quickly, how things go viral and how, uh, how just some, one person's individual actions can just impact other people just by their observing it. And so I think intention counts. I think observation counts. I think, um, being living consciously counts. Um, and by the way, not just the environment in all aspects of life, but the environment is a good place to start. And these are things that I, this is a lot of what I feel is missing in the talk about, there's lots of stuff about here's what you can do, but it's just behavior. It's just, uh, tips or here's the science bounty. Here's a bunch of facts and they're dry and it makes it sound like you have to go out of your way to do it. And when you talk about living by your values, it's not going out of your way. It's actually being more true to yourself. Now, I'm sure there are people out there who really are like, I don't care about the environment. I, don't, I really don't care. But I think that's a really small minority. I think for most people, we like clean air, clean water. We don't want mercury in our fish. And that, I think, you also, my takeaway from you, correct me if I'm wrong, but before you left, before you left the corporate world to, for Bali, would you have said what you had just said? Uh, I don't, I don't think I would have said any of what I said. I don't I know. <laughs> I, um, I would not describe the way I was living my life as being conscious or intentional in any way. I was, you know, I was, a, um, you know, I was pursuing what a lot of people pursue, right? Everybody wants the same things you want, um, whatever it is, right? Whatever, whatever it is you're pursuing. I want to take a step back because I really want to talk about you and your book some. And sure. So I'm going to give a little bit. So you lived a, uh, you have a Harvard MBA. You lived a corporate life. You the the beginning of your book is is gripping. It, it's this takeover of this company, and you emerge as the CEO. And then four years later, you're still in it. You, something that you expected would be temporary was not. It reads like you're kind of trapped in a situation without realizing it. And you and your wife say, "This is something's up. We got to do something about this." You don't realize you could leave. And then you and your family. There's a bit to Africa. There's a, uh, you end up in Bali where you live for a while, as you mentioned, at the green school. And then all these changes happen. Not, and then, I mean, the whole thing is, it, you, you describe it as a memoir. It's, also, it's a memoir. It's a travel book. It's a voyage of discovery, internal, external. And the things that come out, it's, it's gripping, I have to say. Okay, so you talk about the shift. You talked about mindset shifts in the book. And now you're talking about the, the visual one of seeing things. Later on in the book, you talked about when you're drawing someone... And you were talking about expressionism and you were talking about expressing what was inside the person. It's not just in their eyes. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just that you made a shift. Once you do that shift, that's, still the, that's the starting point of something new. Are you enjoying meeting this guest? Are you thinking about what you care about? I recommend making it active. Think about what you could do, not just analyze and plan, not do what others tell you to, but to live by your values. You'll enjoy your results. People will follow you more than you think and you'll impact more than you expect. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast for examples of what others have done. Yeah, I mean, this is what we're talking about, about just, um, you know, once you see things, you can't unsee them. Um, and once you develop a certain, um, you know, philosophy or way of being, it's hard to 
I'm not saying it's hard to uh, not be the same person you were. Of course, that's true. But I do, you know, I, I do backslide all the time, right? I kind of like get involved in mindsets. I'm back in the corporate world today, and it's easy to kind of get into that mindset again. And um, my struggle continues to be kind of um, uh, synthesizing the lessons that I portray in the book um, with what's required to compete and be effective in the world, or at least in my world. And that synthesis is um, an unending type of challenge for me. <laughs> um, so, look, I, uh, so you can you can't quite unsee it, but every now and then I do backslide. I mean, if I were to be perfectly honest about it. And was the I feel like the book is partly I mean, you, the introduction says that the book is mainly for your children. Yes, and I feel like it's also for others as well. Yes. Maybe to give others a, an insight into what's available to them, and maybe also for yourself as kind of like um, uh, like a ratchet, so that to keep yourself from backsliding. I'm not sure. One of the interesting things I discovered about the writing process and the editing process is that you know we all have these narratives in our minds about our life stories, and we have multiple narratives often and sometimes it's hard to tease out kind of what's the what's the right narrative what's the true me what's my true story and to me writing the book didn't quite help with establishing a narrative for my life but editing the book did because to make the book readable as you said you can't put it down which i'm really happy to hear but that was work on my part because i intentionally wanted to make the book highly readable. Mm -hmm. And to do that, you need to pick a story arc. And by picking a story arc to tell other people, I ended up picking a story arc to tell myself. It became my own story. And the way I edited things down, um, if, the, if the memoir was a book about everything that happened to me at Bali, it would be utterly unreadable. So you have to pick a story arc. Mm -hmm. And I picked that one that was absolutely true, but we all have multiple truths in our lives. And um, by picking that one storyline, I do think that um, I helped not only tell a coherent story but to others, but also tell a coherent story to myself about the choices that I made and the life that I lead and the life that I led while on sabbatical in Bali with my family. So one of the things I do on this podcast, which may fit in very nicely with what you're talking about, about living by your values, is that I, I invite people, guests at their option, to think of something that they could do to act on their values that they aren't already doing. And the goal is for listeners to hear that people are, you know, in, for listeners who might otherwise say, well, no one else is doing this, so why bother to hear? People are doing this. Leaders are doing this. And I invite you at your option to take on uh, a behavior, which of limited time, if you want, to do something that you have thought of doing but haven't done yet. So something that and I, I've learned to give a couple constraints and ease other constraints. So it doesn't have to fix all the world's problems all by yourself overnight. But it can't be telling someone else what to do. It has to be something that you do yourself. And it's some measurable thing, not just awareness. And I wonder if anything, if you'd be willing to take on that. And then we would talk about it a second time. Uh, the truth is nothing comes to mind at the moment. You know, when you talk about that, I talk about kind of how we have dealt with plastic in our lives. Um, and have made a conscious effort. I'll just say that most people, it takes a little going back and forth. And it's usually the hardest for the people who have done the most because 
or have found what they what is their balance for them because they've thought about it and the people who haven't thought about it. You know, it's like very easy for Exxon to make big changes in how much they pollute because they pollute so much. Right. Whereas people who have already made all these changes, it's very difficult for them. Well, it's not always very difficult, but it's often difficult to make yeah. over the changes because like, they've thought about it. Right. And, um, yeah. Like I had that with Elizabeth Colbert. She, she appeals to prize winning book. She, she wrote uh, the sixth extinction and she's like already done everything. The next stage for her would be a really major shift in her life that she could, really couldn't do. Right. But then a lot of other people, we go back and forth. I'm, I'm persisting a little bit here because some people, something pops up that they weren't thinking about. And then they think, you know, I could do that. And it's not supposed to be a sacrifice. Yeah. I understand. I, yeah. I don't have to tell you about that. Let me, let me, let me give it some thought. Let me okay. give it some thought. Cause I mean, the book is, you know, I mean, you, know, I, you said you're in the middle of it, so you haven't gotten quite to the end, but I mean, the end really is kind of like, okay, what practices do I want to bring to my life to really change my life as I kind of reenter, you know, living in New York and in the corporate world. And, and those practices are kind of very much part of me today, but um, let me give it some more time. Okay. So, um, more th- all right. So, well then I'll probably, let me just think now, now that I'm knowing this is going to be erased, I can have a little, <laughs> it's funny, not, you talk differently when you know it's not being, right. the whole world's not going to listen to it. Um, cause I could wrap up or I could talk a little bit more. Cause I, I mean, I really did find the book. I'm really curious about the, a bunch of different changes. And I didn't, Sam is your oldest son. Is that, do I remember right? Yes. Yes, correct. And Sam was in a situation where he was doing everything he could to keep his grades up, to get into great college. He was also, like you said, he, he wouldn't wake up in the morning. He was, I, I hope I didn't mix up the kids. You know them better than I do. Yeah. But like, he wasn't really that active, it felt like. In school, I, you know, as a, as a professor, I try to make, activate my students, not, lecture at them and not get them to comply, but to get them to, to blossom. And I feel like that happened to him. And that seems like a big shift too. And I didn't really follow. I didn't get to parts to see the changes in him in the book, but that's uh, like as big a changes in yourself. Yeah. Look, I mean, when I get really uh, cynical and skeptical about my stuff, I kind of, when you talk about kids, like, look, you know, all kids change. It's kind of what that's yeah. part of what being a kid is. Right. So, you know, in many ways you just got older <laughs> and that's often happened. And sometimes I think even all the insight that I think I have in my book, sometimes I feel like, look, you know, who we are in our forties and our fifties is very different than who we are in our twenties, emotionally, physically, whatever. And, you know, we could argue that all I did was get older <laughs> and, uh-huh. and, and just get happier because, you know, I got older in my life. But, um, and I, and I see that in my kids also. It's hard to tease out cause and effect in all of this. I do think that, I do know that we're, we're on a way in Bali to when I think about the changes that went on in my children. Sam was probably the one that experienced the most of it mm-hmm. because I, I felt him waking up also. I felt him um, becoming more aware of his surroundings and more aware of um, living intentionally and making choices for himself. And to this day, I mean, he will, he, he will uh, not buy water from a plastic bottle and he will not use a plastic bag. And um, he's almost religious about it. So here I have to, all right, I'm going to show you something. People, if this doesn't get it, I'm going to show you over here is my trash bag. 
Yeah. And over there's my compost, under there's the recycling, so that trash bag, <laughs> when it fills up, I take it down the hall to empty it down the yeah. trash chute. So today is May 22nd. So on June 4th, it will be 365 days since I last emptied my garbage. And really? Oh yeah. And I look at that as like, I look at that as like disgusting. Everyone's like, oh, that's amazing. Wow. So little pollution. I'm like, that's a lot of pollution. A lot of that stuff is going to be around for 500 years. Because, but that's the because, change. Because you composted everything else. Well, recycled. The, well, the main thing is I won't... I, you asked at the beginning where this podcast came from. The earliest, the really earliest, I mean, I've always turned off the lights when I wasn't in the room and, you know, I, I would try to minimize pollution, but I wasn't that active about it. But then a few years ago is when I first decided, I realized most of my garbage was from food packaging and I gave myself this challenge to go for a week if I could without any packaged food. That was three years ago. And in the intervening time, I, I, get, I, I think before then, I might have never had a meal in my entire life that didn't have some packaging in it. And now it's like the CSA and I've been to the farm where I get it from. And I, when the CSA, when I run out of food from there, you know, I, I don't know if you do a CSA, but a community supported yeah. agriculture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I go to the farmer's market. So this Abington square and this union square and I, you know, restaurants are just disappointed to me in comparison. They just don't have, they cover up the vegetables with, you know, fat, sugar, salt. And you talk about these changes and for me, it's not about avoiding plastic, although that's what I, not just plastic, but other packaging as well. Yeah. It's the delicious. That's what, to me, it's all about. And that's what prompted me to have the gall to ask people to take on these challenges because I, in my heart, I'm, I believe that they will also find something that's their delicious, which you've had in a big major way. Yeah. And so it's not like you have to go through some transformation you've never gone through before, but that it's, and I'm in year three of not flying. So I took on this, well, like after I found the delicious of that, I would, and I learned how much pollution flying caused, I was like, I can't do that anymore. And I thought, well, I got family all over the world. I got job. I got stuff that like fly, you know, I live it. Now I would put it, I live in a system. I didn't think of this, but I was in a system and the system required certain things, but that didn't mean I required them. So once I shifted, now it's amazing. Actually, over this weekend, I was taking sailing classes in the New York Harbor as preparation for being able to get to Europe again or getting to Asia again, because the longer I go without flying, the better I like not flying. So these changes, I, I find like, I really like them. And I feel like I'm trying to share joy, delicious. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I hear it. It's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, let me wrap up because uh, we've been talking for a while and, and everyone tells me you got to keep this to like 20 minutes on wherever 20 minutes. Yeah. But is well, there anything? You can, uh, you, can, you, can, you can edit it down. Oh, yeah. It'll be edited down. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I now have people doing that. Yeah. Um, uh, I'd like to ask at the end a couple questions. One is, is there anything I didn't think to ask that's worth bringing up? And the other is, do you have anything specific that you would like to give to the listeners directly? I, uh, there's no, I don't think you, you have not asked anything. So no one, question number one. And question number two, honestly, people ask me all the time, so what are the lessons of the book? And some of them, because they don't want to read the book, and they're just like, just give it to me in mm -hmm. three bullet points, because that's the world I live in. Or mm -hmm. They want the executive summary. Um, and my answer is always the same, which is that I really tried not to draw any lessons for the reader. I've really tried not to give the bullet points. 
I tell my story. Some people will find it inspirational, motivational, aspirational, but however they find it. I really just wanted to tell my story and let the reader um, bring to the story whatever they bring to it in their own lives and take away from it whatever they can take away from it. And I deliberately avoid the question, or not avoid the question, but um, at least sidestep the question of, you know, um, what's it about? What do you want to tell your readers? I don't want to tell them anything other than my own story. And if my own story is helpful to them or motivates them to act in a certain way, that's great, right? What author doesn't want to impact their reader that way? And the best reactions I get from my book is, is wow, that book really stayed with me for a few days. I really, I, I, making me think about things in a whole new way. And, you know, the least, um, the least enjoyable reaction I get to my book is like, gee, that was great, thanks. <laughs> and, and um, you know, they're on to the very next thing. So I do hope it, um, the readers pause and think about the book, uh, think about the story, but I know not everybody does, and that's fine too. Um, uh, so, you know, with respect, you know, with all respect to the question and what you're asking, I deliberately want to not answer it um, because I want, I just want to tell my story. And we talked about that. I just want to tell my story. And the way people react to it is the way they react to it. Well, thank you. I think you've succeeded at that. And there, there's a lot of books that are like, here's the answer. And I think your book is more effective at guiding people toward a way of finding answers for themselves if they, yes. if they want to. Exactly right. Thank you very much. I'm going to close with the book is Take Off Your Shoes, One Man's Journey from the Boardroom to Bali and Back by Ben Fetter. And thank you very much. Thank you, Josh. It was really, uh, really enjoyed the conversation. It's nice to be here. I'm glad that Ben differentiated between mindlessly doing environmental things and acting by your values. I hope I didn't talk too much towards the end. I appreciated Ben's openness and rawness in sharing his experiences. Normally, I persist more about the personal challenge. In his case, Having read his book, I was in the middle of reading it at the time. I finished reading it since. I think he shared enough of personal change and growth. I recommend reading the book to learn how a successful leader takes on big personal change involving travel, involving the whole family, because it's all there in the book. Does hearing leaders acting on their values make you think of yours? Nothing will make you feel better than acting on them. Value means better. Acting on your values means improving your life. Committing publicly helps many people and builds community too. If you want, click on Commit to a Personal Challenge to share what you do with this community. You'll be a leader among leaders. We're more than a podcast. We're a movement to share how acting on environmental values means fun, joy, growth, and so on, not sacrifice or deprivation. If you want to join or help, contact me at josh at spodak.net or at joshuaspodak.com slash podcast. You'll grow as a leader, you'll enjoy yourself, and the world and your communities will thank you for it.